0: It. I said I loved your shirt, but behind your back I said I hate it. The lightning strike me down, if I lie. me, no one be around with my tongue's untied. Everybody says it's okay, all the little things I say with my big fat mouth. La 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 big fat mouth. Wow. Okay, I'm excited enough, I don't really need it. Uh, Technology of the day, didn't I say that? Okay, so we're using the technology of the day right now. Uh, So, this is the second time I've done this message. I I adapted it a little bit because the first time I shared this message, it was with our New Life students, the 6th to 12th graders here at New Life. And uh, I told them I started out as a youth pastor. That's the truth. I was a youth pastor for five years in Cincinnati, and I was a youth pastor before any of them were born. I was actually a youth pastor before most of our student leaders were born. And uh, as, as a youth pastor, I was always appreciative that there were people who, who cared enough and we have a lot of them, uh, student leaders here at New Life, who cared enough to tell somebody about Jesus, because my heart was gripped by Jesus when I was 12 years old, and I went to a church that didn't have a youth group, and I went to a church that really didn't have a pastor who really cared about me personally or my relationship with Jesus until I was 15, and I I had given up on church, to be honest. I left church for a while, and we got a new pastor, and he came to town, and And uh, he made all the difference. In fact, I wouldn't be standing here tonight. There wouldn't be a New Life Christian Ministries if it wasn't for this pastor. His name's Andy Wygant. Most of you don't know that name. Most of you probably don't care about that name, but you should. Because one person can make an incredible difference in one person's life, and he did in mine. And ultimately, it can make a big difference in God's kingdom. And and so, uh, whenever Pastor Andy told me about Jesus and the new life that I could experience, I already had it. But I saw it in him in a way I had never seen it before. Life in Jesus was real for him. He, he always had this enthusiasm for life that I hadn't seen in too many people. And he actually came to, to Gypsy Christian Church, a church that, you know, he had new ideas, and they hadn't had a new idea there since Abraham Lincoln was the president. And, uh, and I'm serious, I mean, he, he really, he upset the apple cart, you might say. And I, I remember seeing people coming up after church, you know, and they, they'd rip him up one side and down the other, criticizing what he said, how he said it, why he did it, all of that. And he would stand there, and he would smile, and he would listen. And he would, thank you so much for your helpful comments. And I don't know how he did that. And, and so what we're going to talk about tonight is criticism. We're going to talk about criticism. And as you know, unless you're new tonight, uh, you probably can tell even from the the message up on the screens, uh, we're doing this series in the middle of it right now called My Big Fat Mouth. And last week, I heard that Pastor Brad talked about gossip, and I think it might have been a good message. No, I watched it online. It was a really good message. Uh, Anyway, tonight we're going to talk about criticism. And uh, as we talk about that, uh, we're going to turn to this one verse of Scripture. King Solomon said this a long, long time ago, about 3,000 years ago. He said that the tongue can bring death or life, and those who love to talk will reap the consequences. Say that with me, please. The tongue can bring death or life. Those who love to talk will reap the consequences. Now, consequences can be good or bad. If you follow along on the outline, that's the very first thing in the outline, it says consequences can be good or bad. Usually when I say you're going to experience the consequences, you might think of something negative. But dictionary.com says this, a consequence is the effect, result, or outcome of something occurring earlier. So if I mixed up a batch of chocolate chip cookie dough, put it on some cookie sheets and put it in a hot oven, the consequence would be that we could all have some chocolate chip cookies. Now, that sounds really good to me because I'm in the 16th day of a 21-day fast, a Daniel fast. That means I've I've been eating fruits and vegetables and nuts for the last 16 days. So I digress. Okay, so anyway, mostly when we think of consequences, though, we think of something negative. For example, if I was always talking bad about young people or old people or short people or tall people, eventually what would happen is you would either not like me very much, or you would start to believe my criticism and eventually you would start not liking yourself very much. And so that's what we're going to talk about tonight, how we can not be critics, how we can not be those who uh, cause people to be brought down but how we can be encouragers in fact uh, I'd like to ask if you'd raise your hand if you've ever been criticized I'm not talking about criticized like by a coach because he was trying to help you or a mom or dad because they were trying to help you or a boss you know because they were doing constructive criticism I'm talking about like somebody just tore you down did that ever happen in your life okay boy I'm glad for some of you but the rest of us okay this message is for us and uh what the, the, home, the take-home point for tonight, and those of you who are watching online for the first time, here for the first time, we seek to make one point in our messages that we can take home, reflect on it, and hopefully live it out in the week ahead. And especially I want us to live out the second part of this one. It says, Criticism destroys relationships, but encouragement nurtures them. When I was growing up, we used to say, Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. And I could use that statement two weeks from now when I'm talking about lying, because that's a lie. Sticks and stones can break our bones, but words can ha- harm us far worse than the broken bones. I've had broken bones. I broke my left leg when I was playing football in 10th grade. I broke a couple ribs and a, right, a bone in my right hand when I was doing taekwondo as, adults, as an adult. And you know what? Those bones have healed up. Well, I don't even think about them anymore. They work just as good as they did before I ever broke them. But what I'm gonna tell you tonight is about a couple of comments that were made to me when I was a child. And when I think about them, they still hurt. They still penetrate my heart. So before I share those comments, I wanna remind us of the title of this series. It is my big fat mouth. The pronoun is my. Not your right, but I'm going to talk about other people and how they impacted me negatively by criticizing. And when I do that, you're probably going to think about other people who have come who have impacted you negatively by the way they criticized you because we tend to give ourselves a pass when it comes to being critical and we tend to be harder on other people. But I want us to understand something let's all remember this the only person that you can change is you, and the only person that I can change. Is me. So let's think about critical comments that we've made to others and how we can be encouragers instead of critics. So I did well in school when I was growing up. In fact, I was you know, first in my class in high school. Academics came easily for me. But even though that was the truth, my dad said stuff that made me feel like I wasn't very smart. And one of his most common statements was this. I don't know how somebody who's so damn smart can be so damn stupid. Now, I'm sorry for the language, but that's what he said. And when he said it, it cut right into my heart. In fact, all of my life, you know what I try to do? Try to show my dad. I'm not stupid. So I went to college, and I got a bachelor's degree. And after I got out of college, I went back to college, and I got a Master of Divinity degree. took me three more years. Then after I got my Master of Divinity degree, I went back to college, and I got my Doctor of Ministry. took me three more years. Ten years of college, just so I could show dad I wasn't stupid. No, I'll, I'll be honest. I like learning. I didn't mind going to college for 10 years. But really, in the back of my mind was always, I'm going to show you. I'm going to show you. I'm going to show you. And the thing is, that is what happens sometimes when somebody criticizes us, hurts us, and, and tears us down. We respond by saying, I'll show you. But that isn't always what happens when somebody tears us down. In fact, sometimes when people tear us down, it, it does the opposite. When I was in about third grade, I think it was the summer after third grade, my cousin Belinda came home from Ohio, and she had her guitar, and she was playing her guitar, and I went, wow, that sounds so good. Could I try that? And so she gave me her guitar, and she showed me how to you know, make a couple notes, and she said, wow, you're good. And when she said that, that, that was encouragement, and that's all the encouragement I needed, all the hope I needed. I decided I was going to play the guitar. And so I asked my mom, Mom, could I get a guitar? And she bought me a guitar. And Now, we lived in Gypsy, Pennsylvania, so there was no guitar teacher in Gypsy, Pennsylvania. And if you never heard of Gypsy, um, Saxonburg is like Cranberry Township compared to Gypsy. Seriously, Saxonburg is 20 times bigger than Gypsy. So there was no guitar teacher, but my mom searched, you know, and I don't know how she did it back in those days because there wasn't any Google But one day she said to me, Chris, I found this great guitar teacher in Indiana, PA. It was a 28 mile drive one way. And she told me his name, Columbo Previtt. I was like, whoa, that's a cool name, you know? Then she told me he isn't really, like, he doesn't just teach guitar, he's an FBI agent. No kidding. So special agent Columbo Prevent was my guitar teacher. I was so excited, you know, so I went in the first night and I had my little $35 guitar and I handed it to him, you know, and he tuned it up and he started playing this song and he was going all up and down the frets and I was, whoa, this is cool. Then he handed me Nick Maniloff's basic guitar lesson book number one. He opened it up and he showed me the, the, the music, you know, the, how the, the, the letters work, the A, B, C, D, E, F, G thing, and how it corresponded to the guitar frets and everything. And so he handed it to me and gave me an assignment and he sent me home. And I was so excited and I got home and the next day I opened up my book, I got out my guitar and I looked at that stuff that he told me and it didn't make any sense to me at all. And, and so I, I said, hmm, I, I, I know what he said, but I can't figure this out. And so then I realized E, the, the, the E that's on the bottom string, it's the open thing. So it's string number one, zero. That's what I called it, one, zero. I, I wrote beside the E letter, I wrote one, zero. And then for the F, I, I wrote down. If you don't understand, that's okay, because I didn't understand either. So anyway, a fret one, first string was F, so I wrote F, one, one. And then G was on the third one, so I put one, three. And I did that for all the strings and all the notes. And so, you know, I'd, I'd see 1, one zero, and I knew that was an E, you know. And I knew that, you know, whatever, 2, 1 was C. And, and I knew all those things. And so I would do that, and I went in, and I had my book all marked up with all the numbers and everything, and I took three lessons. And at the end of the third lesson, Special Agent Previtt called my mom in. And in front of me, he said this, and it's probably almost the exact words. He said, Mrs. Marshall, your son is very intelligent but he has absolutely no musical talent whatsoever. <laughs> he is never going to be any good at playing a guitar, and you might as well stop wasting your money. Now, I was like nine, and my heart was broken, and I had, if you ever read my book, you know I was sort of an angry guy. I didn't have my shotgun with me that day. So anyway, I just, I, I wanted to punch him right in the mouth. I wanted to cry all at the same time, but I, I didn't do any of those things. But i tell you what I didn't do. I didn't do what I did when my dad called me stupid. I just quit. I said, I'm not going to ever play the guitar. He said, I can't play the guitar, so I just quit. And that's probably happened to you. You hurt so bad when somebody criticized you that you just said, I'm not going to do it anymore. Well, a while later, I don't remember how long it was, I think it was almost a year later, my mom came to me. And my mom said, Chris, I found a new guitar teacher in Punxsutawney. Her name is Mrs. Gibson. Now, if you're a guitar person you know that Mrs. Gibson ought to probably be pretty good at guitar because that's actually a guitar company, right? But she wasn't even connected. But anyway, she said, Mrs. Gibson is really excited to have you as a student. Now, I don't know if my mom told Mrs. Gibson anything about Special Agent Previtt, but this is what I know. When I went in and sat down the very first day, she encouraged me. And then she encouraged me the next week and the next week. And it was only like the fourth or fifth week I was there. Um, I played, you know, whatever the little song was with probably like eight notes, you know, that I did. And, and she said to me, Chris, that wasn't perfect, but it was really good. And then she got out her little stickers that had a little piano with excellent written across it. And she put it on top of my lesson book. And when she did that, I remembered that till this day. That was 50 years ago. Now, I never became a great guitarist. Obviously, I wouldn't be standing here. I'd be in the band. But I never became a great guitarist, but I did play the guitar well enough to be the person who played the guitar for youth group when I was the youth pastor. The thing is, there are people like my dad and like Colombo Previtt who are critics who, who sum us up in a word, stupid, no talent. Then there are people like Mrs. Gibson. And in fact, when I grew up, I started preaching uh, when I was in college for the Ciscomenitas Presbytery. And I went to a church in Rossiter, Pennsylvania. And uh, I'm in the middle of my sermon. I look back and there's Mrs. Gibson. And she's smiling and her head's going like this, you know. And after church, she came up to me and she said, I always knew you were going to do something great with your life. And that is the kind of thing we want to be. And if Jesus is in our heart, that's what we can do. So, the thing is, When my dad said I was stupid, that wasn't true. And when Mr. Previtt said I had no talent, it might have been semi-true. But it really wasn't true. And here's the thing that we need to understand. If the devil can keep us focused on criticisms that the others unload in our lives, he can keep us from focusing on Jesus and on life. We need to remember that the tongue has the power of death and life. In other people's lives when our mouths open. (laughs) And so there are going to be consequences in that situation. I remember reading the words of John Eldridge one time and he said this and I've always remembered it. Never agree with the enemy. Never agree with the enemy. The enemy is the devil. And the devil is going to tell us stuff like you're stupid. Jesus would never say that. Now we do stupid things. We all do. But the, but the devil is the one who's the one that pounds that home, that criticizes and makes it stick. Never, Jesus. You know, the devil's the one who says we're losers. And we all lose from time to time, but Jesus would never call us losers. And so we get to choose in our lives whether we're going to be the encouragers, the hope dealers, whether we're going to be the critics, the ones who tear people down in life. And so... One of the things I, I always like to think about whenever I, you know, as an adult, I'll do something and, and my dad's words will come right back into my head. And when I hear that, what I say is Romans 8, one. There is now, therefore, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. The Apostle Paul was a hope dealer. He told us that the Holy Spirit can fill us up and change us from the inside out. He told us that Jesus right now is in heaven interceding or praying for us. He told us so many wonderful things, and that's what we can fill our heads up with, and that's what we can also fill the heads of our children and each other with whenever the criticisms of life come. Fault finders are all around us. We we can find them everywhere in our lives. They criticize us, they tear us down, but thank God for the hope dealers. I'm going to tell you a story that happened when I was an adult. I was actually studying for my doctorate of ministry. And I had to take a preaching class. Now, I thought that was a little odd because I'd been preaching for ten years. You know, five years as a youth pastor, five years in another church where I preached almost every weekend. But I had to take a preaching class. Now, everybody, there were ten of us. And all ten of us were going to have to preach. So I did what I always do. I said, I'll go first. Because I figured whoever goes first usually gets a little grace, right? And and I knew that all of us had to preach. So what are they going to say about me? Well, anyway, after I preached, the, the professor says to the other... You know, nine students. So what do you think of Chris's message? Now, they all understood something. They were all going to have, to have to preach in front of everybody else. So they said stuff like, well, he had good illustrations. Oh, it was really good content. They just went on with these nice little pleasant things that they said. And so then he said this. He said, okay, so nobody's going to tell him what he did wrong. And then he paused. Nobody said anything. He said, well, I'll tell you what I think. I felt like I had my head held under a bucket of water for 25 minutes. Yeah, he had good content, but I don't know what he said because he said it so fast, like I'm doing right now, that I couldn't even, I couldn't even understand it. You know, he never paused. I'm pausing right now. And it ruined my morning. I know he was trying to be helpful. I know he was. But I left that place devastated that day. I felt like another fault finder had found another fault. So afterwards, I had to go visit a guy in the hospital, St. Francis Hospital, not there anymore. It's Children's Hospital now. But anyway, he had had a stroke the day before. I was 36 years old at the time. Merle was in his 80s, upper 80s. And so, remember, he had a stroke, right? So I go in and I sit down by his bed. I said, Merle, how you doing? You know, we are talking a little bit. And uh, after a couple of minutes, Merle says, Chris, what's wrong? You seem a little down today. This guy had a stroke the day before, you know? And he's noticed that I'm seeming a little down. And uh, obviously his stroke hadn't impacted him too much because he was talking well and he had the, the, the presence of mind to realize, you know, what's going on. I said, well, you know, Merle, here's what happened. I went to preaching class and the guy told me that he felt like he had his head held under a bucket of water for 25 minutes. He, he, he said it was terrible. He goes, really? He goes, well, I want to tell you something. He goes, for the last 25 years before you came, to our church, I used to fall asleep in the sermon every week. But since you came, I haven't fallen asleep once. He said, I think you're doing a good job. So you can listen to that preaching professor if you want to. But I I think the results are pretty good. Merle was another hope dealer, another encourager. And I'll tell you what, I left that place today, or that, that place that day, and I felt just amazingly better. Now, I knew that the preaching professor was sort of right. And I still do talk pretty fast when I get excited. Um, But Merle was the one who made the difference that day. Because I went home and I continued to work at becoming better. Just like my dad's negative had made me better, it's all so much easier to become better when somebody's affirming you, encouraging you, like Mrs. Gibson did, like Andy Weigand did, like Merle did. And in our lives, we get to decide who are we going to be. Are we going to be the critic? Are, are we going to be the fault finder? Or are we going to be the one who encourages, the one that everybody's so glad to see come? You know, you know the person that, that in your life, or maybe it's more than one person, that when they start walking towards you, you just wish that you were somewhere else. Because you know it's never going to be anything positive. It's never going to build you up. You're going to feel, you know, you're going to feel like somebody held your head under a bucket of water for 25 minutes. And that can't be a good feeling. I don't know because I don't ever feel that way. But that's the kind of feeling that we can give people or we can give the kind of feeling that says you value, you are valuable. You matter to God. You're important today. So today's next step is really simple. Really simple. You know how I always say simple? What's followed by that? Not easy. Really simple. I will offer hope with my words this week. I will offer hope with my words this week. So let's be really practical about this because, you know, it's easy to say in next steps, you oh, know, nod her head, yeah, we're going to do that. Well, think about your mom or dad, your son or daughter, your brother, or sister. Think about your boss. Think about some friends at school. Think about people who could benefit by you saying something encouraging to them. Think about the person who always criticizes you and what you could say that would encourage them. Think about how you could actually do this in your everyday life, and what would be the difference? What would be the difference to a person if you came along and you shared an encouraging word or comment, or or you were the one who gave them hope to try some new skill, or you affirmed what they did, and maybe they don't get that very much. Here's the thing. Jesus endured so much more than criticism for us, didn't he? Jesus came to the earth. The son of the living God came as a baby. He grew up. He lived a perfect life. The the book of Hebrews says he suffered every temptation that we have faced, but he never sinned. And then he died on the cross for the criticisms of the world and the sin of the world. He died and he rose again so that we could have hope. So that we can have a new life. A life that we don't deserve. But a life that he freely offers to each and every one of us. So if you're here tonight or you're watching online. And you have never said yes to Jesus as your Savior and Lord. Savior means that he saved us from our sin. From the criticism that we give and that we take in our life. He saved us from that. And he saved us for a life of meaning and purpose. And Lord means... Lord means He gets to tell us what to do. And the most amazing thing about Jesus is, even when He tells us the hardest possible thing we could imagine, He does it in a way that builds us up instead of tears us down. Because it's good for us. If you've never done that, we're going to pray right now. And we're going to do something we don't usually do at New Life. We're going to have a time of silent prayer. And if you need to ask Jesus to come and, and take over your life, you can do that during the time of silent prayer. If you've already done that and you know that you've been negative, then you just repent of that and you know ask Jesus to give you that new new filling of your spirit, of his spirit so that you can be, become that encourager, the, the hope dealer in, in life. And whatever you need. So let's take a moment, a little longer than a moment. I'm gonna take a minute. It says seven eleven right now. I'm gonna wait till it says seven twelve. So it'll be awkward because we don't like thirty seconds of silence. I'm gonna wait till seven thirteen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do give you thanks and praise that you love us so much that you sent Jesus to give us new life. I pray for any who during this time of silent prayer gave their life to you. Let Jesus become Lord and Savior. God, I pray for all of us that you would give us a, a fresh outpouring of your Holy Spirit that we might in our everyday lives be what you are to us, encouragers, ones who give hope, ones who help, and when we do criticize, it'll be constructive, it'll be helpful. God, we pray that you'll shut our mouths when we don't have something helpful to say, that we won't spread words of gossip, that we won't complain, that we won't criticize, and that we will tell the truth. God, we thank you that you give us that opportunity through the grace of your son, through the blood of your son, Jesus. We ask this prayer in his name. Amen.